Hello and welcome to All Tomorrow. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Mooney Jensen. And today we will try to imagine what Germany and Europe will look like without Chancellor Angela Merkel at the helm. And it's going to happen. Merkel, who's been in power for 14 years, announced last year that she would not run for a re-election, opening the way for transition in 2021. Mooney, since the announcement that she made of her departure, the uncertainty in Germany has only increased. There are real concerns over the Chancellor's health after repeated public episodes of what appears to be an uncontrollable shaking. There are concerns about the evident weakness of her successor and over the fragility of her existing coalition. All of these things point to an even earlier than planned exit, generating this weird existential state of dread in Germany that change is coming and it's imminent. And to navigate the future of Germany with us, on today's show, we have Soraya Serhaden Nelson, an international correspondent for NPR in Berlin. So remember the announcement, Peter Merkel herself in a speech last year when she said she was stepping down, forced Germans and Europeans to envision a future without her stabilizing presence. And while the news was not a surprise for anyone, the perfect storm of German and European politics make her retreat an even more worrying drama than expected. And on the horizon is a a series of Uh, variables that make things even more complicated, a crumbling governing coalition for her, an unstable Germany within a fragile Europe of entrenched populism, a general nervousness surrounding Brexit, and most concerning of all for both Germany and Europe, the absence of a real successor. So, you know, there are three pillars to Merkel's power, and I see all three pillars at risk at the same time. First is her firm control over Germany's economy. Second, her commitment to a centrist democracy in a world that's increasingly full of nationalist authoritarian leaders. And third is her influence over Europe's foreign policy. And all those are at stake all at once. It's like this three-skinned onion that's coming apart. And there's growing apprehension both in Germany and Europe as a whole because there's nobody around who can take that wheel, who can fit those shoes. Well, starting with Germany, that was really obvious when her appointed successor, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, AKK, generated and has generated serious questions about her leadership. She's committed verbal gaffes. She's had poor showing in European elections. And now there's whispers about Merkel even losing confidence in her appointee's ability to form a centrist coalition. And that has led quickly to a new crop of rivals cropping up as alternatives for the chancellery. Her power in Europe is also eroding, as was evident at her party's performance in recent EU parliamentary elections. And her iron rule, both over Germany and over the EU, has begun to erode. And that means that her place at the head of the EU is also vacant. You know, sure, French President Emmanuel Macron is the natural successor. He's been supporter of Merkel and he obviously, you know, would be and sure would like to be seen as the successor as the, quote, captain of Europe. But, you know, his leadership is weaker. His reforms have stalled. His popularity at home is waning. He's got this problem with the yellow vest. I'm just not sure that he can just pick up that role. It's hard to it's hard to really envision him as the new Angela Merkel, um, much as he would probably like to. But this drift is happening at a time when challenges for Europe are greater than ever. The, obviously, the rise of populism, but also the political intrusion by Russia navigating that complicated relationships, questions on how to contain China, dealing, of course, with Donald Trump and his trade threats and the EU itself being under siege from the new crop of nationalist Eurosceptic parties that are basically all over in every country. 
And to make matters worse, of course, are the chancellor's health concerns, although it's maintained a pretty private profile in Germany. But Merkel's been spotted shaking, like you mentioned, in several public appearances. And that means her exit or starting to make people feel that her exit could be even faster than expected. Okay, so there's lots of things that we want to talk about, which go start from Germany itself and where it's going, Germany's relations to the EU, Germany's relations to the US, to Russia, and to dive deeper into the implications of the transition that's coming in Germany and in Europe as a whole. We're pleased to welcome Soraya Sirhadi Nelson. She's the international correspondent for NPR and covers Central Europe from her base in Berlin. Her reports can be heard on NPR's award-winning programs, including Morning Edition and All Things Considered. She was previously based in Cairo and covered the Arab world for NPR from the Middle East to North Africa and was part of the team that won the 1997 Pulitzer Prize for covering the crash of TWA Flight 800. She's written extensively about Merkel and about Germany in the past two years. Soraya Sorhadi Nelson, welcome to Altamar. Thank you for having me. Can I just start really big so you can, I'll just let you go off on your own. What does the future look like? What does Germany and what does Europe look like without Angela Merkel at the helm? It's almost impossible to imagine. Well, a lot of it's going to depend on who takes control uh, in the next national elections and whether or not Angela Merkel makes it to the end of, of this term. Um, I mean, it's at this point, it, it is unclear because it looks like the Greens or the progressives are, are gaining more strength and power. But of course, one can't dismiss the nationalists. Um, obviously, if migration becomes an issue again, that's another question. But what is clear at this point, uh, whether Angela Merkel stays to 2021, whether she uh, I mean, definitely leaves as she's planning to do at the end of 2021, um, her party, the Christian Democrats and other so-called so big tent parties, are not really calling the shots anymore. And we saw a lot of what voter dissatisfaction there is with the big tent parties in these recent uh, European parliamentary elections that were held. Um, the Greens, again, which is a progressive party that is focused on the environment uh, a lot, uh, came in a very close second to Merkel's Christian Democrats. And it's the first time in a national German election that that has happened. You know, let me let me just pick up. I, I I love your description of big tent parties versus versus not big tent parties. But let me pick up specifically on, you know, the party that's gotten a lot of press, the Alternative for Deutschland, the 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 right wing, uh, often accused of being sort of a neo-Nazi right wing party. Where are they? And I, is is the fact that she may disappear from the stage uh, going to just push a lot of votes towards them? Well, they certainly gained a lot of votes because of some of her policies, specifically what's, what's been referred to as Merkel's refugee policy was something that propelled them high into the, um, into the national scene here and also on the regional and local levels, uh, you know, into, into local parliaments. But because migration really hasn't been as, as much of an issue in, in the past couple of years, their numbers are again dropping. And what you're seeing is that a lot of young people uh, in Germany, a lot of younger voters uh, and and other voters, they're they're just they're frustrated. They want issues addressed that affect them directly here on a domestic level, and that's something that Alternative for Germany really hasn't been able to do as much. I mean, they've been more of a protest party. They've they have basically become the main opposition party since the Social Democrats are uh, aligned with the government. 
Uh, and so as a result, um, they, they are sort of focused on one issue. And there's also an internal power struggle going on right now with an alternative for Germany that would actually lead them to becoming further right um, if the people who are leading this sort of coup within are successful. So it doesn't seem that they are necessarily going to benefit from her departure. Of course, that equation will change if for some reason there is another large wave of asylum seekers that start heading towards Germany and elsewhere in Europe. So you mentioned before um, that a lot depends on whether she finishes her term. And we've all seen the headlines about her health issues. And although she has vowed to finish her term in 2021, there are certain doubts that she won't be able. What is, if you had a crystal ball, what do you think the next couple of years are going to look like? Well, I've learned a long time ago, six years of covering uh, politics in Germany and covering Angela Merkel, that um, it's it's always premature to write her political obituary. She stays on long <laughs> beyond uh, what, what people uh, give her credit for. Now, obviously, this time there's something new that we've seen uh, in, in the past month uh, or the past uh, in June and in July, where you're talking about her health, where there have been some noticeable occasions, three of them, in fact, so far, as of July 10th where she's been seen shaking on, on, uh, in videos and when, during official state visits. And people are very concerned that this means that, that uh, she is somehow ill or she's not going to be able to fulfill her term. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, she, she does turn 65 on July 17th. Uh, she has admitted herself to no longer being a spring chicken. And, and she says that hopefully experience counts for something, which is something she can offer. Um, but she's been pretty tight-lipped about what's wrong with her. Uh, she sort of indicated that perhaps uh, she had a dehydration episode uh, and that some of these shakings happening since then are related to psychosomatic symptoms. Again, these are all sort of insinuations, but she hasn't really talked much about what specifically is wrong. She's, she has been very adamant that she is a responsible leader and understand what, understands what that entails, which suggests she's been to the doctor but um, you have to understand something. This is not just Merkel being coy about her con physical condition. Uh, here in Germany, there is a lot of privacy around uh, health issues and also uh, politicians. You don't really hear about people when they're sick. For example, um, when a lot of Germans didn't know that Willy Brandt, when he was chancellor, suffered uh, debilitating bouts of depression, or for example, Helmut Schmidt, when he was chancellor, was prone to fainting fits. So this is not something that Germans tend to talk about with their leaders, and it's something new that's sort of come up as a result of uh, this, this day and age of social media and where people are asking a lot more uncomfortable questions than perhaps were asked in the past year. Can I go back, uh, Soraya, can I go back to your big tent uh party issue because I'm fascinated by that. I mean, we're, we're living now in a real breakdown of these big tent parties, the CDU, the CSU, the social Democrats all seem to be somehow, you know, I, ha I have in mind that they're just slipping on banana peels. I mean, they, somehow there's no, no, very few new ideas and really these, you know, it's, it's the greens and the right wing that seems to seems to have all the new the new impetus tell us a little bit about where where that takes germany and and what is is there a revival in those parties well the issue with the bigger big tent parties if you will um is the fact that they really haven't done much to reach out to the youth i mean they have youth branches and so forth but 
let's take climate change, for example. You've had uh, the, on Fridays, every week you have young people, a lot of them even high school age, coming out and protesting and saying Germany and other countries need to be more responsible about climate change, that we're not leaving a good world for, for their generation. Whereas the Greens have embraced this. And, and the other thing that's interesting with the Greens is that they have their ideas, I mean, they sort of started out as this conglomerate of people who are very pro-ecology or, or very green, hence the name, and also Marx, ex-Marxists, and, and all sorts of people that sort of were thrown into this hodgepodge. But they've actually developed a fairly robust political agenda, and the things that they used to endorse that were sort of seen as being far out there are no longer. For example, the climate, uh, they, they've maintained a pretty strong voice, a pretty strong liberal refugee policy, which most Germans still, despite the concerns about too many people coming to Germany or, or there not being any way of dealing with them here, in, in a, as, as was seen in 2015-2016, was not very efficient the way that was handled, people still feel that there should be a a more open policy, uh, many of them feel that way, or even most one could argue according to some of the polls. So the Greens have actually latched on and become very mainstream just because a lot of Germans uh, have developed more progressive ideas now, and they're benefiting from the same thing that Alternative for Germany on the flip side of it has benefited. And that is that there's just this feeling, this sense that these big parties are no longer dealing with the needs and the, and the, and the cries from the German population. Um, there is no doubt, though, that the Greens will have to deal with very important issues to Germans here, uh, not just climate change, but, for example, what happens to the social, uh, uh, the safety net, if you will, although this, this is a very robust or used to be a robust welfare system here. What happens to retirees? You know, how are there enough people to fill jobs? Uh, this is always an issue here because uh, the older generation is, is growing um, or expanding at a much higher rate than the younger coming in, um, what happens with diesel cars, you know, and, and all sorts of things that just have not been addressed by the current governing coalition. And so that is something is, is something that they will have to, um, uh, the Greens will have to address if they were to come to power and become the dominant force here in national elections. Soraya, let me, um, before you came on, Moni and I chatted a bit with our audience about the Chancellor's chosen successor, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, known as AKK. So she's had a really rocky start. Is she going to be able to recover from that rocky start? Or are now other, uh, quote, vulture successors sort of circling up from above? Well, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, AKK, as she is known, um, is not doing so well. According to the polls, uh, all the polls show that she's sort of taking the brunt of, of all the failures. They're all her fault. She also hasn't made herself very well liked with some of her pronouncements. Um, she's definitely taken a more conservative tack, which doesn't sit well with, with the more centrist elements of the party or, again, the younger people. And um, she, she definitely is facing challenges uh, within the party from Friedrich Merz. Uh, he's someone who was a, a Merkel foe at one point who lost to her is definitely, uh, and he did lose to AKK in December when the party leadership position was was uh, up for, for grabs, um, but she, he is much ahead of, or farther ahead of her now in the polls, far ahead of her in the polls. And so he's seen as someone who perhaps could lead the party. There's also uh, the, the head of North Rhine-Westphalia, the governor, if you will, there, who's ahead. I mean, she's she is just really trailing, and again, she's sort of taken on uh, the, the problems that this, the Christian Democrats have 
faced. And, and so every time there's a loss, for example, with the European parliamentary elections, even though the CDU did uh, come in ahead, only, it only did so slightly, definitely with fewer seats than before. And again, that falls to her as the leader of the party. I mean, the blame falls on her. So she's going to have a really tough time. And she's just not the charismatic, charismatic leader that um, Merkel is. While Merkel may seem very stoic to us, that, there is a great appeal and that stability uh, here in, in Germany. And she has that vast amount of experience that make people trust her more. And that's something that AKK doesn't have uh, because she's newer to the scene. Soraya, for 14 years, Angela Merkel has held a dual role, also obviously as Chancellor of Germany, but also as kind of the captain of Europe. After um, a transition, do you envision a new, more inward-looking role for Germany's leader? Well, there's no doubt that, and as I mentioned before, even if the Greens come to power or whoever comes to power, there has to be more attention focused on German issues, whether it's the issue that we spoke about with the social safety net, whether it's housing, uh, housing shortage in Germany is very, very bad. And in places like Berlin, it's just uh, unimaginable how most people here can even find a place to live. So that's something that has to be addressed. Um, climate change, which again is a global issue, but it's also very much a local issue or, or a domestic issue in the case of what happens with coal burning plants. All these questions have to be addressed. So Germany is going to have to, I mean, whoever comes to power here has to look to that. But having said that, it's really important to remember that most Germans remain very staunchly pro-European. I mean, 77% of the current members of the German parliament or Bundestag belong to parties that strongly support European Union integration or further European Union integration. Um, and again, the alternative for Germany has lost a lot of steam at this stage. I mean, they're, they, they did well in the European elections, but not as well, for example, as they did uh, when the national elections were held in 2017. So um, there, there will be an emphasis on strengthening the union, the European Union, especially if the Greens come to power because they're a staunchly EU, pro-EU party. Shifting to the U.S. and Germany, they did put uh, a friendly front out in the recent G20 meetings and are trying to uh, present some sort of cordial relationship. However, um, there are some tensions. Recently, specifically, Economics Minister Peter Altmaier announced the creation of a German cloud service independent of the U.S. Uh, do these uh, attempts at technological sovereignty and other tensions threaten this relationship? Well, this is something that's been simmering before the Trump era, uh, for what it's worth. I mean, we're talking about uh, during President Obama's uh, tenure when the NSA scandal was revealed and the fact that uh, American intelligence agencies were going through German data and spying on Germans and there was some complicity on the part of German intelligence agencies and that. All of that is still very much alive in the German mind. Um, and so, and there's also, of course, a great fear with the trade tensions that are going on. It's not just with the U.S., but with China, um, that, that Germany really needs to dominate and have some control over the Internet and not just put it in the hands of providers that are answering uh, to the Trump administration or to the Chinese administration, for that matter. Um, the other thing to also remember is that Germany has been for a long time trying to catch up in the Internet game. They're just, for being the economic powerhouse, the Internet here is really dismal, and it's just an overtaxed system. They never really built it up the way they needed to at a time when, when the Internet became more prominent and was needed, and so now they're playing catch-up. So um, there's no doubt that cooler relations with the U.S. make it easier for the Germans to sort of go it alone. I think 
most Germans and certainly uh, the government currently has made it pretty clear that they're looking beyond uh, the, the current situation, the current tense relations with President Trump and his administration, and that they they don't see the relationship with the U.S. as being something that Germany or Europe, for that matter, can do without. And Soraya, let me just follow up on Mooney's foreign policy questions to ask about the Germany-Russia relationship, which is always fraught with ups and downs, and but very, it's also very, it's an it's an insider st- uh, thing, given also some former chancellor's involvements with Russia and things. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Uh, for sure, um, the, the German-Russia relationship is something that's very much on the minds of many Germans here. And uh, what, how, what happens to that really will depend on who comes to power in 2021 or even in 2020 if Merkel ends up leaving before her term is up. With the growing dependence on Russian natural gas here, uh, there's no doubt, and and, and also German businesses, uh, you know, they really would like the tensions to be ratcheted down. And at a time where the Ukrainian conflict really does seem to be taking a back burner, not just uh, in Europe, but in the United States and elsewhere, it seems like there might be some potential for coming a bit closer or maybe turning a blind eye to some of the, the terrible things that each side has accused the other of. But there's no doubt that that uh, the Russian president certainly is feeling rather emboldened about this. I mean, look at what he was saying at the G20, where he was calling uh, in an interview right uh, around the time where that was happening, that liberalism in Europe is obsolete, and he was criticizing Angela Merkel's decision uh, concerning asylum seekers. Uh, so he seems to think, certainly, that things are going to change. But But it's also important to remember that if there's any perception here in Germany of Russian interference in the elections, which is something that there was some of, not to the degree that there was a discussion in the United States, but certainly there was some of it in 2017. And so if that sort of attempt uh, at hacking or or influencing uh, the decisions here that are made at election time, if that comes to the forefront, then I think whoever is in power uh, here in Germany is going to be pursuing a very aggressive anti Moscow stance or, or keeping them in check. So it's not a, a given that there is going to be a shift, but certainly uh, there are a lot of people here who would like to see those tensions um, diminish somewhat. So that that is something that the new government will have to definitely wrestle with. So could I, I ask you to just pretend for a second that you're not the Berlin-based correspondent, but you would be the Brussels correspondent. How, how, how would you, how's her absence going to play out in the EU at large and what's the effect going to be? I mean, she's been such a stabilizing force. So we already saw with the most recent uh, EU summit meeting that she's losing some of her her sway. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, like the French have tried to go it alone in terms of going forward with uh, Macron's plans for um, for, uh, I forgot now what he called it, sorry, I'm drawing a blank here, but, um, you know, with, with uh, Macron's plans to, inter- to have a more integrated Europe, um, and also for Merkel's plans to have uh, her defense minister, Ursula von der Leyen, become the new uh, EU commission president. Um, you know, she, in the past, Merkel didn't have to say much, and people sort of fell in line, and that's not happening already. So uh, we're already seeing some of the implications, and certainly, if Merkel's government which, uh, falls, which is another, there's still that possibility that the coalition between the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats 
uh, and the CSU from Bavaria, which is a sister party of the Christian Democrats, there's a very strong possibility that that government could still fail because of just, again, the, the declining uh, approval numbers and people's frustrations with what's happening here, which is basically not much on the domestic front. So um, it could be that by the time Germany assumes the rotating presidency of the EU Council of uh, Ministers next July, that there really isn't going to be someone in, in a position to lead. And so that's something that the EU sort of has to get used to, which is not to leave it to Germany to sort out Europe's future um, and or lead what's left of the liberal world order or deal with the future European debt crisis. I mean, it's always been in the past, Merkel has always taken that role on and there is no one, I mean, there's a vacuum there. And so that's something that, that uh, is something that you will have to struggle with. But again, I think that uh, Germany is still going to be a very pro-EU country. So depending on, you know, it, it maybe it won't be a German leader necessarily per se, like Merkel immediately, but the government will certainly pursue that sort of agenda. So it's not as if um, Brussels is going to be left, you know, left without any, ability to lean on on Germany or go to Germany for help when uh, when the going gets tough, which it probably will, again, as, as the predictions are for the economy. Uh, one last question, Soraya. Merkel has outlined, and we've all read and heard her, her vision for Europe several times and, and more so in the past few months. Uh, in a few sentences, what do you think her legacy will be for Germany and for Europe and the greater kind of global politics? Well, she will be remembered as overseeing the golden age, if you will, uh, of making Germany uh, the basically the economic powerhouse of Europe, uh, expanding the economy uh, domestically by more than a fifth, pushing unemployment to its lowest levels, and also sort of staying the steady course. I mean, she was always a sign of stability, which is something the Germans really value, but I think Europe and many others in the world also came to value. So that's on, on one side, that's how people are going to remember her. But I think also that stability, that unwillingness to change the course, to sort of address uh, some of the issues with, with the younger voters, with voters in general, which led to this great dis dissatisfaction, especially at the time of migration, uh, of the great migration wave here to Germany uh, in 2015, um, that ended up basically blowing apart. And that will always be her legacy as well, that she didn't deal with this effectively and that she just didn't, didn't change enough, <laughs> that she's stable on one part, but that stability also cost her. Soraya Sarati-Nelson, thank you so much for joining us on Altamore today. That was a great conversation. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Mooney, I was struck by a couple of things on on this interview. First of all, you know, I, I remember going to Greece at the height of the Greek crisis six uh, years ago or so. And, you know, it really struck me then how much the Greeks hated Angela Merkel, but they also respected her. She's the epitome of the leader that doesn't doesn't care about being loved. She wants to be respected. And it just seems to me that Germany is a domino that hasn't fallen to either economic nationalism or to xenophobia entirely. I mean, sure, there's been this growth of a right-wing party, but it's the domino that hasn't fallen. And I'm just worried, you know, the unthinkable happens. You know, the Brits who have been, you know, well known to be, to be so, such great, uh, leaders and sort of always have the cool minds and the rational point of view. Now they're suddenly gone crazy with Brexit. And I'm just worried about what can happen in these times when 
when you don't have such a strong leader such as An- Angela Merkel. Yes, and it, it it can flare up any minute, um, some sort of a political upheaval. And she definitely is ho- seems to be holding, especially in Germany, onto kind of a, a very fragile house of cards. Um, however, I don't think we should underestimate Merkel or Germany. And there is, um, as Soraya mentioned, a lot of um, stability and support for the EU, etc. But I, I, my concern coming out of this interview was how much of the weight of you know life after Merkel depends on a potential successor, and there is nobody right now that can actually take that helm. Well, I you know the, I, I wrote down this quote of hers, which was, "You can't leave it to Germany any longer to sort out Europe's future." I just thought that was like that said it all. I mean. This will be a moment for Europe to really either grow up or to fall flat because Germany clearly has things that it has to take care of on its own. I think she, Soraya was very clear about sort of the lack of investment in internet and a lot of things that young people care about, such as, uh, such as environmental issues. And so there's a lot to do in Germany and you're just not going to have the European leadership that we've had before, whatever happens. Well, Germany. there's a different kind of leadership. And if you see all these parties cropping up that are anything but, um, for the European Union, I think that that type of leadership is, is particularly concerning now that if you pan out into, any country in Europe right now, that's exactly what you find. That's the new, um, you know, the political story right now all over Europe. That's it for us today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.